Do you have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. I've got a question about a roof. Is it possible for just part of the roof to be peeled off and re-singled only about a 10-foot section and blended in with the other roof rather than having to do the whole roof again? I have a need for an electrical heater for our basement room, and it's only used several times a year. Could you discuss uh, electrical space heaters? My husband and I are hanging a lighting fixture, and we're trying to take the old fixture down. I was wondering if it's safe to cut the wires with scissors on the electrical Electricity is turned off completely to the room that we're working on. Do you have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. He's here to answer questions that are important to you, today's homeowner. You can always be part of the show by giving Ken a call at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or email your questions to our website, KenTheContractor.com. We're going to talk about something that's been popular over the last few months in terms of questions and emails, and that has to do with smoke detectors in your home, perhaps your shop, your garage, but we're going to talk about smoke detectors in general. Several of you have asked, are there different types of smoke detectors? How do they function? Is a smoke detector a heat detector? Do they do the same thing? So let's explore some of these things that I think we need to know that are very basic about smoke detectors. First and foremost, I hope that every one of you listening to me has active, functional smoke detectors in your home. They especially need to be in all of your bedroom areas, all of your sleeping areas. If you haven't checked, if you don't know whether they're still functional, go push that test button. We're going to talk more about that as we go through this. But there are two basic types of residential use smoke detectors, and you should have at least one of these types scattered throughout the house. The first one, and I'm going to give you a couple of terms that may not mean much to you now, but if you go to buy them, you may see this written on the box and be puzzled by it. The first one we'll talk about briefly is called an ionization detector, and that has an ionization chamber and a source of ionizing radiation, because you've heard people say, I'm sure some of you have, that, well, those things have radioactivity to them. Well, let's talk about that also as we go through. But they simply work by a drop in the electrical current based on the way the ionization chamber works. Enough said about the technical side of it. The second one is a photoelectric detector. So you have the ionization smoke detector and the photoelectric detector. Now, in at least one type of photoelectric device, smoke blocks a light beam, and that's really what it's doing. It's blocking a beam within the unit. In that case, the reduction in the the light reaching the photocell that's in there sets off the alarm. It's that simple. So one uses a method of an electrical current drop because of the way it ionizes the smoke. The other one, the photoelectric, simply has the smoke block a light beam, which activates the alarm. So they function in two different ways, but they do the same thing. You'll say, okay. Which method is best? Which one do I need to be purchasing? Well, you're going to find both available in just about every store. You may not know it unless you read the print, sometimes the fine print that's on it. But the ionization and photoelectric detectors are both smoke detectors, smoke sensors. And we're going to keep that separate from a heat detector. And both, if they're certified and meet UL requirements, have all gone through the same test. So if you're buying a smoke detector with a UL label on it, always important to look at that. That means it has passed stringent tests and certain criteria by the underwriter's laboratory, and they are very rigid before they put the seal on it. But both of these pass those tests, so to that extent, they are completely equal. The ionization detectors will respond more quickly. That's what I said. They will respond more quickly to open flames, 
with smaller combustion. However, the photoelectric detectors respond more quickly to smoldering fires. And the reason I say this is because you may want to check with your local fire department for some recommendations based on where you're placing these. If you have these going in a, a workshop, a garage, versus a bedroom or perhaps a family room or someplace with an open flame, you may want to decide that one is better suited for you than the other. You don't want to have the false alarms, these things going off on a regular basis. And in either type of detector, steam or high humidity can set this off. Now, I say this, too, because some of you have asked about, in fact, we had a question recently about opening an oven door. No flame, no smoke, but the smoke detector would go off. And that's one reason we bring this up, and there are two different types for you to look at. So if you've got a situation where it's steam, high humidity, it may be heat with some smoke particulate that comes out of an oven that we talked about on a prior show that causes the alarm to be triggered. What we don't want to do is have you put a smoke detector in a place where you're pulling it off the wall, taking the battery off of it, out of it, because it just doesn't function like it should, and you have all these false alarms. Eventually, you don't rely on it at all, or you don't allow it to function, and it defeats the entire purpose of having it somewhere in your house, as I said, hopefully in your bedroom area. Now, the National Fire Protection Association recommends that depending on, it doesn't matter really, which type of smoke alarm you are purchasing, but the smoke alarms be installed on every level of your home, including the basement. A lot of us forget about our basements. If you have walk-up attic storage areas, you need to have one in the attic as well. And you also need to make sure that the alarm is present outside every single sleeping area, every bedroom that you have in that house. Now, for those of you that are doing remodeling or have just recently finished a house, you know that smoke alarms under current codes nationwide are interlocked. They'll be fed by line voltage, meaning they're powered by the 110-volt current in the house, but they still have battery backups in them. And a lot of builders fail to go over this with homeowners when they move into newly completed or renovated homes with upgraded systems. You need to be certain that those batteries are changed at least once, if not twice a year. But you need to check those. The other thing that NFPA wants all of us to understand is that these smoke detectors have a set lifespan. You can't just put them in and expect them to be there and function properly for 20, 30, 40 years down the road. Typically, They are designed to last for a period of about 10 years. And we just talked about the way they operate. There are elements in there that will wear over time. They become dirty, somewhat fatigued, if you will, and then the smoke detector may not respond when it should. So 10 years is the general life cycle of smoke detectors. If you're in a house with smoke detectors that have been in 15 years, it may be time to call somebody if you can't do it yourself and have those changed out. Smoke detectors also should be mounted high on walls. So if you've got a ceiling-mounted device, it should be installed at least four inches away from the nearest wall. If you have a wall-mounted device, it should be installed four to 12 inches away from the ceiling or below the ceiling. Don't put a midpoint on the wall. Don't put them just above the floor. Smoke rises. These gases from fires rise. They go to your ceiling area. They go to the highest spot. And if you have a vaulted ceiling, meaning it's not horizontal but it's pitched on the inside, that smoke detector needs to be positioned four to 12 inches below the highest point on that ceiling. Now, some of you have also asked, is a smoke detector also a heat detector? Well, I've just explained how these are activated, the two different types. A heat detector is completely different. That doesn't mean that a smoke detector may not also contain a heat detector, but if you are working in an area, for example, um, you, you happen to have a shop area and you generate a lot of heat with things that are going on, there, you may still want a smoke detector, but if you've got a lot of heat sources, 
You may want to have a smoke detector that says if the heat gets above I mean, a heat detector, if it gets above a certain level, it sets the alarm off. You're saying, well, I don't want that to happen every time I'm out there working. Well, these alarms can be triggered by two means. One's with a, a rapid increase in temperature. So if the inside's 80 degrees and suddenly it goes up to 120, 140 degrees, it may set the alarm off. Or if you happen to have a shop area or a work environment where you have a constant temperature source, you may want to purchase one that is preset, that will not activate, say, until the temperature reaches 140 degrees, something along those lines. So you do have options. The bottom line for everybody here is be certain that you have a proper smoke detector in and adjacent to all sleeping areas. If you've got newer systems, have those hardwired so they interlock. If one goes off, they all go off, no matter where the fire is detected or the smoke, and that you're safe as you live in your home. Don't forget, if you've got a question for Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, email it to our website, kenthecontractor.com, or call us at 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. If you have a question about your home inside or out, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can email your questions to our, our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out all the valuable home improvement information. You can also find out about podcasts of recent programs, some programs you may have missed, or are you looking to catch up on some of our apps of the week? You'll also find a link right for that right on our front page of our website. And again, that's KenTheContractor.com. Time for us to go back to the phones at 800-614-2975. And joining us now is Ken. Hi, Ken. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. Hey, Ken to Ken. Hi there. This is Ken to Ken. Uh, I have a question about gas water heaters. I'm in the process of doing an addition to a uh, a um, home unit, and um, the electric hot water, electric water heater has been in there about almost 30 years. I thought I'd tr- change it. Um, what do you say about gas, uh, tank type or tankless? Is there either natural gas or LP gas available in the home right now? Do you already have a, a gas uh, piping network? No, but I have talked to uh, Columbia, and I have access to it with installation. Okay. Uh, would that be the only appliance that you would be using gas on? No, we'd also use it for um, a um, gas fireplace we're going to put in. Okay, so you have some reason to be bringing a, a gas pipeline and service into the home then? Yes. Okay. If it's natural gas, and that's what you've just explained to me it is with that particular provider, right now natural gas across this country in many locations is a bargain. And it's anticipated to remain that way for some period of time based on the reserves that have been discovered and the ability of this country to produce natural gas uh, through piping networks and so forth, as opposed to propane gas or even uh, electricity from coal-fired plants and so forth. So if you have a need for that, and you're saying, I'm okay to expend the money to, to bring, put the piping in, to put the meter in, and to get with my gas provider to do so, I would encourage you to take a serious look at it. I think you're going to find that it will be less costly long-term to heat that with natural gas versus the line voltage electric that goes to it. It does not have a negative impact on your electrical service. If you were going the other way around from gas to electric, it may, meaning you might have to upgrade that service. But in your case, you're going to have some spare capacity. You're going to be pulling a 220-volt hot water heater offline, which gives you added capacity in the panel for other renovation items you may be doing. 
and at the same time, you're going to be reducing your operating costs. Now, gas water heaters on the front side will cost you more money, typically, than an electric water heater, plus you have the venting. If you're going to install one, I really would encourage you to look at a high-efficiency unit, which is typically 92% or greater, for several reasons. One, you're, you're getting more BTUs per gallon of fuel that you're bringing in, but also your venting is is so much easier to deal with. It actually vents with PVC as opposed to double wall metal flues going through the roof or the wall line. So I'd encourage you to look at that. Now, you ask about the instant water heaters. Those have become fairly popular in probably the last seven to ten years, and manufacturers have worked diligently to perfect those, and I want to use that term loosely. But when they first hit the marketplace, they were not the greatest thing since sliced bread, and uh, they had some issues with them. But they've done a very good job in enhancing the performance of them and allowing us to serve the needs of our house. The big caution with those, not unlike a gas water heater, is you want to be sure it's sized for the home, for the number of bathrooms, for the number of plumbing fixtures you have, and for the usage that's there. The biggest problem people have with instant water heaters, both gas and electric, is they look at price point, and they go out and they buy a unit that um, is it looks pretty economical, but they plug the thing in or get it online, and it won't provide for their needs because it's only designed to produce so much hot water for a certain period of time at a certain temperature. Even the instant-on cannot maintain a, an extremely high temperature for a long period of time unless it's designed that way. So that's that's my word of I guess, of, of caution on all of those. But the bottom line to your question is, if you're going to be putting gas in the house and you've got natural gas available, by all means, I'd take a serious look at it. Okay, well, I have done that. And uh, my question is, going with the tank gas type versus the tankless, which you call instant. Yeah, the instant or tankless water heater. If you are, make sure it's sized appropriately for your home, uh, I'd have no objection whatsoever. I've installed some uh, to use the instant uh, gas water heater, but again, be sure it's sized. Don't let a salesperson tell you this is what you need. I'd actually go to a mechanical engineer and let them be sure that this is what you're looking for and that this is what you need long-term so that you're happy with it. But it should perform very well, and these units do not have standing pilot lights today, so you're not consuming gas when uh, you're not using hot water. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. Ken, we appreciate your call. Don't forget, you can always reach Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor at 800-614-2975, or you can email your questions to KenTheContractor.com. we got an email right now. deals with a broken skylight. Yeah, it does, and Carolyn writes to us out of Bethesda, Maryland. And, uh, Carolyn, we appreciate you listening to us on WKCW 1420 AM. And you're telling me in so many words, after a recent storm, you noticed you had a crack in the upper side, the outer panel, if you will, of a skylight in your home. You're telling me now you've got moisture or water that's being collected between the outer layer of glass and the inner layer. You've also been told by a local contractor that the only way to resolve that is to replace the entire skylight. You don't want to get into the shingles and all the other things that go with replacing a complete skylight, the frame and so forth. You're asking, is this really the correct answer? Do I have any other options? It's possible that you have some other options. I'm not seeing this. You haven't sent me a picture, but what I do want to tell you, first, if the skylight is one that has a completely horizontal glass panel as opposed to a domed glass panel, you may find that your local glass company, a commercial company, can make that panel. Yes, I know it's insulated glass, but they can make an insulated glass panel, same color, 
and have that installed in the existing framework. That will prevent you from having to tear out shingles and deal with modifying or installing a new frame and buying a complete whole unit. Secondly, if you still have the paperwork on that unit, you know what brand it is, what model it is, I recommend you go to the manufacturer and see if they make a replacement panel for it. This is whether it's either dome or just a horizontal or flat piece of glass. Because many manufacturers will keep those replacements in stock. You're not the first person that's ever had a problem with a skylight. So those are two th- ways that you can avoid replacing or perhaps avoid replacing the entire skylight frame, tearing into the roof, the shingles, the flashing, and everything that's related to that. So that's my recommendation to you. And if that doesn't work, then you may have to have the entire unit replaced. Local glazing contractor or glass company. And secondly, check with the manufacturer and see if they have a replacement dome for you. And that's one you want to make sure it's fixed properly because that's one of those very, um, what's the word I'm looking for, vulnerable areas that if it's not fixed right, it can create a lot of problems. Well, you don't want to have a roof leak in a rainstorm and you're saying, well, if I put it in and I don't have a roof leak at a rainstorm, I want to tell you, you may have one when it comes snow season again and snow is covering that and you have the freeze thaw with it sitting there. There are gaskets in place when the glazing is removed and reinstalled. It has to be done correctly. Again, if you're going back to the manufacturer, they should send all of those things to you. But if you have a local glass company do it, they should know that as well and have the right tools and equipment. Don't forget that you can follow Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, on Facebook at Ken the Contractor. And also, you can follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. If you do have a question for Ken, the number to dial is 800-614-2975. You can always reach him at that number, 800-614-2975, or forward your emails to our website. That's KenTheContractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt, along with Ken, and it's time now for this week's edition of One-on-One with Ken the Contractor. Each week, Ken brings you information about products and services from companies and experts he interviews during his many travels. He does this all to make your life better, provide options, and, of course, to save you money. Joining us now is Lou Cuomo. Lou is with Closet Made, a name that many of you may recognize. Lou, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ken. It's a pleasure again. I'm always interested in seeing the new products that Closet Made has to help us use our vertical space, our cubic space, and just to make life easier in our home. And as we have talked a few times, even recently, I go back to uh, what you call the refrigerator shelf days, the early years of Closet Made. And clearly, with technology and changes, we have moved a long way in terms of meeting our storage needs. I I do know we talk about products That's great, but also it's trends and paying attention to how we live in our homes, the size of our homes, our family sizes, and the things we buy today. When I look at Closet Made, right now, you have new products that meet the needs, certainly, of the smaller homes. We see that in today's marketplace, the more urban environments that we see, as well as the multi-generational. This is one of the fastest segments of housing right now, and that's multi-generational homes. Tell us a little bit about some of the ways you're catering to us as consumers as far as storage. Storage has always been, and it's even more crucial right now. With homes getting smaller, people have to make the most out of what they have. And we've got products that can be used in every spot in the home, every room in the home. As a matter of fact, this uh, show, we've debuted the fact that we have, uh, we, we are keying on the whole home. Is a, is a theme from the mud room to the entryway to the uh, laundry room, uh, the garage. We've got a product that could solve any type of need 
that, that the consumer could have. Storage is huge, as we know. Homes are getting, as I said, homes are getting smaller. Uh, we got multi-generational households. Older homeowners are deciding that to age in place. They need product for, uh, to, for their lifestyle. We pretty much have uh, not only have uh, every room in the home covered, but we also can cater to any price point that they're uh, looking for. So you're watching out for all of us. And as I tell folks, the cubic space in our home is the cheapest space we have. That square footage, the contact area with the floor is clearly the most expensive. The areas that we use for storage are so underutilized in many cases, and that's where you come in with all of these products. Whether you have a two- or three-year-old that's just old enough to walk or be putting things in drawers or pulling toys out, five-year-old, a seven-year-old with some short-hanging clothes, or whether you have someone that may have physical disabilities or someone that happens to be six-foot-eight in the house right. and reads those, exactly. needs those really high shelves, or you want a mixture, you want to store folded items within your closets, as well as hanging items, yeah. shoe racks. If you can think of the way we live in our home, you're handling every one of those with the products that you have. Exactly. And adjustability is the key. Uh, that makes it uh, the buzzword that we hear nowadays at NAHB is the universal design. And we have products that lend itself to the universal design theme just by having adjustability. Products that will stand the test of time is what I'm talking about with universal design. A closet could be made for a children's closet and adjust to that level and make it easy for the child to hang their clothes. And uh, later on, it could be adjusted when that child gets a little bit older. So it stands the test of time. Adjustability in the pantries is important. So we're just seeing that people want, they want that flexibility. And uh, we're trying to answer to those needs. We're speaking with Lou Cuomo with Closet Made. Lou, Shelf Track Elite happens to be one of the products that you're introducing that allows for some flexibility. Tell yes. us a little bit about it. That's a uh, new program that utilizes a hollow core technology where we're taking, uh, we, we make our wood shelves out of hollow core and we mount it to our shelf track system that makes it adjustable. It's a middle price point between wire shelving, traditional wire white shelving, and our master suite. It's a price point that's right in between, gives the customer adjustability, flexibility, and a look, a rich look of real wood and a real thick, beefy design. And uh, it's been a real hit at the show. Everyone seems to like it. Well, it's extremely flexible. I was pleased to see uh, your exhibit just recently and will tell everyone that's out there, this clearly is something that you will not only appreciate, but it's also something that you can do yourself. You don't have to go out and hire a pro. I looked at the flexibility with that. As far as the mounting, it's extremely simple. You're mounting it high on the top plate or you're hitting the studs. Either way, you've got good solid reinforcing at the top and everything is suspended from that. Tracks move from left to right and your product moves vertically from top to bottom in any way that you'd like to configure that. So it really suits everyone's needs. Now, Master Suite was one more item you just talked about. Mm -hmm. What is Master Suite for those that don't know? Master Suite is our high-end uh, laminate closet system. We uh, market it as Master Suite. It comes in five different finishes. It's more of a custom closet look with drawers and accessories to really give that upscale look for the for the customer who wants more uh, in their closet. More storage space and the ability perhaps to conceal certain items Correct. because you've got doors on these. And, and what we're seeing in a trend is that people are taking their clothes and they're not putting their clothes in dressers anymore. They're, they're wanting to put those clothes in the closet. And this answers to that need. Uh, less clutter in the bedroom, 
taking the clothing, putting it in in the closet, in drawers, on in hanger on hangers. It's really a nice trend that we're seeing, and we're benefiting from it. Well, Lou, we've talked about the shelf track elite, about the master suite line, about the standard closet made shelving that has certainly been enhanced over the years. You have other products, accessories, all types of things for them to look at as they're looking at how to use their cubic space. Pantries, bathroom storage areas, bedroom storage areas. Where do folks go to find out more information about what we have talked about today, as well as full product line Closet Made has to offer? Well, they can go to our website, uh, www.closetmade.com. is a good resource for, to find out a lot about our products, pretty much everything that's new. That would be the best resource. And there you could uh, type in your zip code, and it'll take you to the locations or the, the retailers and the dealers that stock our product. So this really is the first place to go to closetmade.com and you'll be able to find installers, you'll be able to find retailers, you'll be able to get technical answers and they'll be able to see the full lineup of products. Exactly. Lou, we appreciate you being with us as always. I hope things work extremely well for you as you move into this year. I know everyone at this show is upbeat this year, looking forward to exciting things over the next several months. I know you are as well, and we'll look forward to following you as things progress. Yes, uh, I appreciate the time that you give me. Thank Thanks, you for Ken. being with us today. Thanks, Ken. Bye-bye. Well, and Ken, one of the things you said that was probably the most intriguing is about how these systems are allowed to adapt. Before, if you put one of these in, you're pretty much stuck with it unless you just redid the whole thing again. Now these are going to adapt as your family changes. Yeah, and when you talk about what is, I'll say, quote, the traditional wire shelf, and, and Lou and I discussed it as the refrigerator shelving. That's how it started out. looked like that. But today they are producing systems that allow you from the youngest age, you've got an infant in the home from the time that becomes a toddler and starts having very small clothes, both folded and hanging clothes. It allows you to adapt systems without ever putting any more holes in the wall. You're not taking shelves out. These systems mount, as we discussed, maybe at the head to the top plate on that wall. They have vertical tracks where the shelf raises up and down. You can add shelves for storage. You can add drawers. You can add areas that you put shoes in. And it's very adaptable. I was quite impressed when I looked at the product line that they have and how this says from the time you've got a young toddler all the way until they're a teenager, with all the things that change about clothing and shoes, that one closet system will function for them, and you can keep adding and modifying and taking away without butchering your closet. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, is here to help. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back to Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. If you have a question about your home inside or out, you can be part of the show by giving us a call at 800-614-2975 or email your questions to our website, which is kenthecontractor.com. We do like to let everybody know that if you do forward us a question, you will get a response from either Ken or our mailbag editor, Aaron Yoder. But Ken goes through and pulls some of those different emails and brings some of the more interesting ones for our entire listening audience. And we've got one of those right now. What's this one deal with? Well, this one comes to us from Linda out of Elkhart, Indiana. And Linda's asking a question I don't think anybody has sent to me. If they have, it's been years. And she says, we have kitchen cabinets that are manufactured from both maple and cherry. That's the finish. So she's talking about the wood itself. It's not a plastic laminate from mica-type cover on it. It's a natural maple, natural cherry. said, we've got scratches and gouges in some areas. What's the best way to cover these up or to make them go away? 
Well, that's really a good question because most people don't think about kitchen cabinets as being furniture, and that's what I'm going to tell you they are. If you happen to have a natural set of kitchen cabinets or a bathroom vanity or it could be a cabinet that's in a sewing shop, it doesn't matter, a hobby room, they are like a piece of furniture. They're manufactured in the same fashion. They're using the same natural wood products. They'll have the same type of stains, varnishes, paints, and finishes on those so when it comes to repairing or, repl- or touching up gouges in those surfaces, treat them like you would any piece of fine furniture in your home. There are repair kits for those of you that like to do things yourself that include a color match on wood putty or fillers and then the sealer that goes over the top of that. There will be touch-up kits that let you deal with painted surfaces as well. If you're not into doing that yourself, you can hire someone to do it, someone that may be going to the trade name of furniture doctor or people that are in that particular business that come in and make these repairs. They can easily repair these cabinets throughout your house that have gouges or scratches. So, Linda, again, think about your kitchen cabinets that are a natural hardwood as being a piece of furniture. And if you or someone in the house are capable of maintaining that on your own, have at it. You won't have any problem with it. And I promise you that you'll feel better about it, getting rid of those little nicks or those gouges, something that may have happened, somebody pulling a cart through, damaging something in the, some part of it in the kitchen. If it's out of sight, it's out of mind. Once you get the color back to it, you fill in the gouge, it'll look pretty good again, and you're going to be happy about it. Very good. All right, time now for our app of the week, and uh, this involves your roof. Is that your roof, is that correct? It does, but this app really is not for everyone, at least on a permanent basis. But I bring this to air today because it's free. So if it's free and you're only going to use it once, you know what? The price is right because it's apt to save you some money as you deal with that one-time home project. This app is produced or manufactured, put out by Prolific Methods, Inc., and it's called Pitch Gauge. That's P-I-T-C-H. And no, I'm not talking about black tar that you put on your roof or on your foundation. This has to do with determining what the pitch or the slope of your roof is without getting on the roof. Now, for those of you that are professionals out there in the remodeling business, or especially those of you that put shingles on or roofs on all the time, this can be just a great app for you to have logged into your phone, take out to job sites or to see customers, to do some quick measuring and to get some quick information without ever taking the ladder off the truck. And this does several things. First, it operates on both standard and metric measurements. It has a camera mode that will allow you to find roof pitches and the steepness from the ground. That's what I told you a moment ago. You don't have to take the ladder out of the garage or off the truck. It's also got a wide screen mode, which finds a roof pitch by laying your device directly on the roof or soffit. So if you're on the roof, you're getting ready to do home repairs, remodeling, putting on an addition, or just trying to talk to a builder, this could be beneficial to you to say, look, I've got a 312 slope, I've got a 1212 slope, I've got a 712 slope, any of those things. But you give them enough information that they know what you're talking about, and it will help you determine a price for that particular line of work, whatever you're doing, re-roofing or adding on. Now, it also has what's called a square calculator. And no, that's not just four-sided. That's how shingles, plywood, other materials that go on your roof are references by the square. And if you're buying new shingles, you're going to be talking to supply houses and roofers, and they're going to say, first thing, how many squares do you have on the roof of that house? And you're going to need to tell them, I've got 10, I've got 15, 1,500-square-foot house, and a square is 100 square feet. But this device, this particular app, also allows you to enter the length, the width, the pitch, the cut level to find out how many squares you need because the fact that it's on a slope means you need more squares. There's more area of shingle than if you were simply putting that on the floor area of your home. So this is a really handy 
app to put in your phone. It's called Pitch Gauge 2.1. It's designed for Android phones, but it's also they've got another system that works with the Apple systems. And all you have to do is go to my website, KenTheContractor.com. You're going to find everything you need to know about downloading this free app. You'll find it very useful. And if you do want to pick up on some of the other apps that we've talked about in recent weeks, just go to the website, KenTheContractor.com, and right there on the front page, you'll find a link to the app of the week. Uh, let's uh, get another uh, email question in right now. And this one uh, comes to us from La Crosse, Wisconsin, and it's Jordan. And Jordan has uh, another issue. We've dealt with a lot of these the last several months regarding storm damage. And uh, Jordan's giving us a weather report. Starts off by saying, we've had snow, wind, and high water in the last several months in this part of the country. And Jordan, believe me, I know you have. Many of us have tracked the weather across the country. But you're telling me that during one of the windstorms, a branch fell off a tree or several branches, it looks like, onto your garage roof. You pulled them off. You disposed of those. But now you're out doing a little warmer weather surveying and checking, and you've noticed a sag in that roof, which really is not good. You go on to tell me that you've gotten up in the attic space, and you see that you have some broken wood components here. You tell me that a diagonal on one of the uh, the trusses, and I'm assuming it's trusses, you talk about supports, broken, as well as the wood on the top has been cracked or broken in two of the roof supports. And that's where you're seeing this sag, and you're saying, how do I get them out to replace them? Well, that's one reason I assume you're talking about a truss, a pre-manufactured truss, since you're describing a diagonal and some other things that are unique or characteristic of a pre-manufactured or on-site stick-built truss. Well, the good news here is that you don't have to take the entire truss member out and replace it. The bad news is you're going to need an engineer to give you the structural repairs for that. And if you happen to be handy with a hammer and nails and a saw and you can cut some of the members that they're going to specify, that's really all you need. First, you're going to have to either relieve the pressure, if there's any downward pressure, if plywood's binding on that roof, you're going to have to get that top cord, which is what you're describing is cracked or broken, you're going to have to get that back up so that it it planes out properly. Essentially, it's in the same plane with the adjoining members. And you can do this by temporarily bracing the inside of that. But what you're going to do is scab onto the side of these members, the top as well as the diagonal that transfers the load into the bearing point on the truss. But you don't want to be trying to do that on your own. And I say this because I'm telling you the simple solution of what you need to do or bring a trained carpenter in to do this for you. But what's important is that you have an engineer determine what size and species of lumber you need what size and and uh, how often the nails are installed and or screws and or construction adhesive. There are a lot of things that come into play. There are a lot of stresses in different areas on our roof trusses, and that's the reason you see these metal plates that typically attach the diagonals, the top and bottom cord, and sometimes at the bearing point. So consult with a local engineer. You may even have to get a permit because this is a structural repair to your home, you may have to get a building permit from the local governing authorities. That's the first place I want you to start. Check with them. Then secondly, I want you to consult with a structural engineer or a local trust company that manufactures these. They may provide you with the repair detail, then have it inspected. It's really pretty simple. It's not as involved as I make it sound, and it is something you can do yourself if you're somewhat handy. Very good. That'll wrap up this hour of Ken the Contractor. Ken's here answering questions about your home inside and out. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor.